Welcome to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. For more details, check out faithcc.com.au. We hope you enjoy this message. Fantastic. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. What a privilege it is to come around your word this morning. Thank you, God, that your word is alive and active. God, it is sharper than a double-edged sword. It has the power, God, to change our lives for the inside out. God, I pray you'd speak through me, speak to your people today as we come around your wonderful word in your name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of Joshua, the book of Joshua chapter 7. I want to speak to you this morning about consistency, consistency. Everyone say this after me, consistency. And so we're going to have a look at that this morning, consistency. Look, a couple of ideas around consistency. The dictionary describes it as a steadfast adherence to the same principles. A steadfast adherence to the same principles. Who knows there are just some principles that work throughout life? Three people. Who knows the Word of God works? Right? And so when you are consistent in following what the Word of God says, it just automatically translates to the favor of God upon your life. It comes from the Latin word, which means the state of being in agreement or harmony. The state of being in agreement or harmony. So we often talk about corporate agreement and you know, where there's unity, where God commands a blessing. But there's something very powerful about when your beliefs and your actions actually line up at the same time. When there is an internal harmony, I think we uh, get frustrated and I think we lose peace in life when, when we know what we do is right, we don't do. But there's great power in what we believe and what we do when those two line up in harmony and agreement, God can actually command a personal blessing upon our life. So I want to read a couple of examples today out of the Word of God when it comes to consistency. And we're going to look at an example of inconsistency, and we're going to look at an example of consistency, and just talk about that this morning for a few moments about how that can actually help us in our daily walk. Now, Joshua chapter 7, verse 1 to 8, is another battle that Israel are about to go into. This one actually ends up in an absolute disaster, but it says this. Now, the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Kami, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So there were things that God had said, I want you not to touch these things, dedicate them to me. Some people thought that they would do it their own way. So the Lord's anger burnt against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and they spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, Not all the people will have to go up against I. Send two or three thousand. Uh, two or three thousand men, they can take it. But do not worry all the people, for only a few men are there. Very confident that they can actually take this battle, right? This is, they've looked it all up and they said, We can make this happen. So about three thousand men went up, but they were routed by the men of I, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate. As far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes, at this the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Right? So this is a very kind of small battle that is not preached about often. This is the battle after the battle of Jericho. So there's this idea here that we don't need the whole group. We only need two or three thousand. Confidence is at an all-time high, right? They reckon that they can actually go after these particular people. 
But this is after the Battle of Jericho. So we, uh, you know, as Christians often celebrate about the Battle of Jericho, right? But this is after that big win. This is after that breakthrough. You know, often in life, we can often just focus on the one battle, the one victory. That time many years ago that God brought blessing into our life. But the reality is throughout life, we are constantly dealing with many battles. We are constantly dealing with many Goliaths. We are constantly being challenged to overcome in many scenarios, not just one, but many. The Bible says this of the enemy, that he comes in like a flood. Who knows that sometimes it's not one issue, it is multiple issues. There are hundreds of things that are going on in your life and you just can't live a life of inconsistent victories. You want to live a life where you are consistently winning battles when it comes to the things of God. Now there's another opportunity for breakthrough and yet the reverse actually happens. But I want to say this to you today. I believe that God wants you to live a life of consistent victory, of consistent blessing, of consistent breakthrough. Not one that happened five years ago, not 10 years ago when you first got saved, but there is a consistency of the blessing and breakthrough of God upon your life. Right? Psalm 34 verse 19 says this, The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. Come on, don't you love that? He protects all of his bones, not one of them will be broken. I said, the psalmist is saying life consists of many troubles. Well, not one, but many. But the Lord has the power. He actually has the power to deliver us from all of them, not one, not a couple, but all. And uh, this psalm is interesting because before this promise of deliverance, the psalmist gives us conditions, right? So often as Christians, we love the promise. Who loves the promises of God? Three people, right? But who knows that with the promises come conditions, Right? But the promises come conditions. There are commitments, there are conditions here that the Bible speaks about in the book of Psalms, right? That we need to subscribe to in order to walk in the fullness of the promise of God for our life. You know, if you look at Psalm 34, if you look at verse 12 to 18, before this wonderful promise, the Bible says this, whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, he wants to see many good days, right? Not one, but many, right? Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. To blot out their name on the earth, the righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all of their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Well, I want you to notice verse 12. Whoever of you loves life, desires to see many good days, not one, many good days, keep your tongue from evil, your lips from telling lies, turn from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it, right? So really the Bible is saying if you seek many good things, not one victory, but many victories, not one blessing, but many blessings, many good days, right, gives us a condition, Right? Don't tell lies, keep your tongue from evil, careful what you say, right? seek peace right? and pursue it. It's the condition, it's the command, it's the, uh, it's the key, the key to seeing blessing and favour in your life. Now, what's interesting about this particular psalm, this is where the second story comes in, is that it's referring to a time in David's life when David is being chased by King Saul. 
And uh, David had just come out of a huge victory with Goliath, right? One of the pinnacle victory illustrations in the Old Testament. And Saul is getting jealous of David's influence. And so the Bible says that, you know, when people started to shout, you know, Saul has slain his ten thousands, but David has slain his ten thousands, right? Saul becomes jealous. He becomes paranoid. He becomes insecure about his leadership. I think he even recognises that the hand of the Holy Spirit is lifted off his life. And so the Bible says that he goes after David. And so we see this, a few chapters of David hiding in caves and going into different places and King Saul going after him, wanting to kill him. You know, which is really interesting because here David produced a mighty victory, but now David is being treated like a fugitive. 1 Samuel 29 verse 10 kind of gives us this particular picture. Right? That day David fled from Saul. He went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Isn't this David the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands, and David has slain his tens of thousands. Well, David took these words to heart. He was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. He was a Philistine king. And so he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the, great, uh, of the gate and letting saliva run down. Don't you like the way the Bible's very descriptive? Saliva, beard. Achish said to his servant, look at the man, he's insane. Why bring him here to me? Am I so short of madmen that you've come to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? In other words, I've got enough crazy people in my house. I don't need another one. Right? And the Bible goes on that then David left, left Gath and he went into the cave of Adullam where we then see the next stage of Saul going after David. Right? It's interesting that there's an injustice that's happening in David's life. Saul is coming after David through no fault of David of his own. Well, he, hasn't, he hasn't made a bad choice. He's actually done good for the kingdom. He's actually helped King Saul. And yet because of King Saul's own paranoid nature, He's actually coming after David. And David is simply wanting to walk in the call of God for his life. And so this psalm is birthed out of that experience. He's already had a big victory. He's already seen God move with Goliath. This is another one. This is a totally different challenge in the long road to God's plan for David is David's life. David is anointed. David is set apart right? David has been called by God. He has proven his skill set for the road ahead, but he still has to go through this. And the point that David makes out of this psalm, I could speak evil. I could go ahead and do the wrong thing, but I've just made a commitment to be consistent in my walk with God because God is the one who fights the battles for me. If there was ever an opportunity for David to lose the plot, to David say, you know what? This whole stuff ain't working. Yet David made a commitment. Even playing as a madman and even in the cave, he made a commitment to be consistent in his walk with God. It's very easy to be consistent when things are going well. It's a lot harder to be consistent when you're hiding in a cave after you've actually done nothing wrong. Brings me back to this passage in Joshua. It's an opportunity for another breakthrough. It's an opportunity for another act of deliverance, for another victory, another season where God is going to bring blessing into Israel's life. And what is interesting, it goes horribly wrong. From the walls of Jericho, to the little town of Ai, 
there is a complete reversal of what is actually going on. What we see here, there, church, there is a lack of consistency. There is a lack of coherency to the story of breakthrough and blessing that really should have been on Israel's life. And I guess the difference between these two accounts is Israel's lack of consistency and the consistency that David had for his heart for God, right? David recognizes that if he wants consistent blessing, he has to be largely consistent. Not perfect. We know that David wasn't perfect. But that David throughout his whole life was committed, loved God, and was committed to actually outworking the call of God in his life. David recognizes that he can't control the circumstances around him. He can't control the people that have come into his life to wreak havoc, to try and, uh, uh, you know, control the call of God that was upon David's life. But he can decide in his own life who he is. There can be an alignment of what he believes and in his actions. And through that, he can be on the right side of blessing. I think one of the greatest challenges in our Christian walk is often not standing up for our faith, but just very simple consistency. That we are not driven by the whim of every emotion. That we're not driven by loving God when the times are good and yet walking away from our faith when the times are bad. I think one of the greatest challenges in the Christian walk is just a consistent daily devotional life with God. I remember talking to a minister who, you know, who was very, very successful throughout the world and very well known. And I was talking to him, he's an old man now, and I was talking to him about 20. 20 years ago about what's the key to, to ministry? Tell me the key just to living fresh for God. And he goes, I'm actually, he goes, I'm absolutely convinced that most ministers that seem to fail just don't have a consistent walk with God. I'm not talking to you as in, oh, you got to do this. I'm talking about all of us together. There's a power in our consistency that has actually the power to put us on the right side of blessing and favor and God's anointing upon our life. Look what Hosea says, Hosea 6 verse 3 to 4. It says, let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. God is consistent. The sun comes up in the morning. God will always be there. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains, the water of the earth. Then he says, what can I do with you, Ephraim? What can I do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist, like the dew that disappears. He's using this example of the dew in the morning that disappears to Israel's love for him. He says, your love is inconsistent. In the morning when things are fresh, you love me, but throughout the days, the challenges of life become old. You lose your love for me. Your love for me, your desire for me is like the morning dew. I guess like the four seasons of the Melbourne weather, completely inconsistent. I guess when you look at uh, 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 Joshua chapter 7, you see an example here of inconsistency. And I, I guess the thing that I want to point out this morning, actually have a look at the things that stop our consistency. Speak about what we need to be consistent. They're coming from a fresh battle in Jericho. Everything should have been going in the right place and then everything went wrong. And the Bible says that they go down and they get ambushed. And the men of Ai go after them, and they kill 36 of them, and Israel flees. The Bible says that their hearts became as weak as water. 36. All it took was 36 to get them running. 
All it took was 36 to create panic. All it took was 36 to bring fear into their lives. Israel, listen, Israel comes with 3,000. 36 get hit, and all of a sudden the enemy now controls the larger body because just 36. It controls the emotions, it controls their courage. Don't you find that mind-blowing that just 1% get wiped out? We're not talking about half the army. We're not talking about 75% of the army. We are talking simply 1% is enough to get Israel on the run. Why? Because they were inconsistent with their walk with God. Right, look at verse 1. But the Israelites acted unfaithfully to the devoted things. So the walls of Jericho, very faithful. God says, walk around the walls. They do that. Very obedient. Right? They're obviously coming out of the desert. They're ready for victory. So they do everything that God has asked them to do. Get to the next stage. God asks them to keep certain things, and they don't do that. That word unfaithful is the idea of a marriage covenant that has been broken when one party is unfaithful to the other. And uh, it literally means that they broke trust with God. And the result, church, they were easy prey. Their courage was gone. And I began to think about that. What, does, what takes us to get on the run? What, what does it take to get us broken? What does it take for you and I to give in? I think our inconsistency produces a weakness in our lives where we succumb to the 1%. We capitulate to the small when we are inconsistent in the large. It is so easy to get distracted. It is so easy to get focused on the wrong thing. I call it the 1%. Let me give you the 1%. The 1% of discouragement. The 1% of failure. The 1% of temptation. The 1% of distraction, the 1% of negativity. What about the 1% of doubt, the lie? God can't do it. I will fail. I don't have what it takes. I can't see my way through this. It's just the one thought, the one distraction that can so easily get us off course when we are inconsistent. You know, the 1% is called doubt. Let me say this. Doubt does not have a mystery power over us. It's just that we often listen to it too much. We often listen to doubt too much. We give, give it too much airtime. We give it too much airspace in our minds. The Bible says this in Matthew 21, verse 21, Jesus talking about faith. says, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what is done to the fig tree, but you can also say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. He's talking about a hyperbole here. In other words, the possibilities are endless. If you don't listen to doubt, if you're not controlled by your 1% doubt, it reduces your world. It captivates you. You know, doubt there in Matthew actually means to separate in hostility, to discriminate. There's been a lot of talk in the world today about discrimination. Right? The reality is we're probably more discriminatory now than what we've ever have been. But think about from our faith life. We discriminate by having more emphasis on the 1% than on the 99% of what God is doing in our lives. We look at the bad, we look at the doubt, we look at the times that we failed. We give that, listen, we give that more airplay. We give that more airplay than all the goodness and the grace and the favour of God that is upon our lives. What we basically said is the 1% is more important than the 99%. 1% holds more value. It equals to so much more. Think about it. God is bigger than your 1%. He's bigger than your failure. He's bigger than your disappointment. 
Why does the devil use the 1%? Because he uses it as a catalyst to get the thing happening in our life that he wants to separate us from the love of God. But the Bible says nothing can separate us from God's love. And if you notice here, that 1%, it started a chain reaction in Israel's life. They lost courage. They became fearful. They freaked out. It all started there. But let me say this, there is another 1%. It's the 1% of faith. It's the 1% of good decisions in the right direction. It's the 1% of hope. It's the 1% of expectation. The 1% of faith is more powerful than the enemy's 1%. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, in the insurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were, were hoping for. Job chapter 14, verse 7, talk about hope. I've read this heaps of times. It's my favorite scripture. It says, At least there is hope for a tree. If it's cut down, it will sprout again. And its new shoots will not fail. Its roots may grow old in the ground and its stump may die in the soil. Yet at the very scent of water, it will bud and put forth shoots like a plant. You don't need a lot of hope, just a little bit to get that thing going again in your life. Bible speaks about the kingdom of God in very small measures and small measures can do significant things. Luke chapter 13, verse 18 to 20, people asked about the kingdom of God and Jesus made this statement. He said, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in the garden. It grew, became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again, he said, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took, mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked through the whole dough. So listen, the Bible likens our faith like a mustard seed, the kingdom of God like a seed. Think about it, a seed so little, something so small can make a big difference. Right, it likens the kingdom of God to the yeast, a little bit of yeast, right? I love making pizza. I reckon I've got my pizza dough down pat. And percentages are everything. If you get the percentages wrong, it's just going to be terrible, right? And you know what? The perfect percentage for the perfect pizza is 1% yeast. You put 1% yeast, that thing is going to grow and explode, Right? And this is the point here. So we often say, well, the small thing, the small thing, right? But think about it. 1% compounded adds up. It grows. It increases. What's the point about faith? Just don't have faith once, but every day have a little bit of faith consistently and it will grow over time before you begin to see the blessing and favor of God upon your life. The Bible's talking about small things that are consistent. It's not talking about one small thing and you forget about it. One small thing and you don't worry about it. It's talking about small consistencies over a long period of time. That when you commit to the little things, when you don't deviate, when you don't shift on your desire to follow the Lord, the consistency, the commitment, the challenge is that when you are consistent, it compounds. When you are consistent, it begins to reverse the trend. When you are consistent, it begins to change your lifestyle. It's a lot easier to be consistent over the little things than always expecting a massive turnaround every six months. There is something powerful about being consistent in your prayer life. You know, most people, they have no prayer life at all. And then when they go through a big challenge, I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray, 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 pray. What about just being consistent in your prayer life? What about just being consistent with your faith? What about just consistent in your life about moral choices? I'm just going to act godly. I'm not going to speak evil. I'm not going to tell lies. I'm just going to be consistent over a long period of time. I think often this, by this illustration of the seed and the yeast, 
We often think it's a one thing, but I think it's consistently dropping little things over a long period of time that begin to produce a culture in us that puts us on the right side of favour and God's blessing over our lives. I would say this to you. Some of my greatest breakthroughs has not been because I've prayed once, but I've prayed multiple prayers over multiple days over a long period of time and I've seen a significant shift in areas of my life. The Bible says you don't need big faith. You need small faith as a mustard seed. But you know what? You've got to go after that faith every single day. Every single day. You look at Moses. The Bible says of Moses that I want the musicians to come, that he was a humble man, right? Another word for humble is ordinary. Moses was an ordinary man, right? And yet God used him in an extraordinary way. One of the ideas about consistency is God can use your ordinary action on a regular basis to produce something supernatural out of your life, right? And this is what we see throughout the Word of God. We see ordinary men that were consistent. Joseph was consistent. His character was consistent. His desire for God was consistent. There was a consistency there that through every part of life's journey, when things didn't work out the way that he hoped they would, when you know natural circumstances said that God had left him, he was just committed to being the man that God had called him to be. And out of that consistency, he saw the blessing and favour of God in his life. You know what I love about our church? Is that we're just ordinary people. And yet God is doing some amazing things in our church to touch the nations of the world. You know, nothing supernatural about our church. Oh, supernatural God. Yeah, Sam was saying we believe in the Holy Spirit, believe for God to move. You know, southeast of Melbourne, we are just seeing phenomenal growth. You know, I'm believing that every single one of our campuses will actually own facilities. You say it's not about the building, it's about the people. Yeah, but you know what? In a world where Christianity is always challenged with our values and our belief systems, I never want to be put to ransom by a landlord, by a school, by other people that may have a different value than me. I want to own what we've got, not for our generations, but for the generations to come. Right? And I have to say that our breakthroughs have been, have we been working on these sins consistently over a long period of time. Someone once looked at a stonemason and he was chipping away at the rock and he was trying to break the rock in two. And all of a sudden, bang, the rock broke in two. And the guy goes, wow, that must have been a strong, you know, a strong tap in order to break it. He goes, no, that tap has been a result of a thousand other taps that you can't see on the surface, but behind the scenes, it's shifting things, it's moving things. You just don't know when that tap happens where everything changes, but that tap is the result of a thousand other taps that have actually shifted in the right direction. You know, it's the same with our prayer life. It's the same with our faith life. It's the same with our giving. It's the same with our moral choices. Little decisions over many years make a profound difference in our Christian walk with God. The greatest thing that I pray for your life is that you are consistent. Because I know that when we are consistent, we see the consistent blessing and favour of God into every single area of our world. Amen? Come on, I want you to stand to your feet. It was a fairly simple message today. God has promised you and I not one victory, but multiple victories. Many good days, not one. Not one that happened five years ago, but there are many good days ahead of you. Many good days for your family. Many good days for your finances. Many good days for your children and their children's children. I want to be on the right side of that church. 
as I'm consistent. Don't get me wrong, this is not about your religious acts. The Bible says that He is always faithful. He's faithful to us because of His character. But there's something about when there is an alignment in our lives of our beliefs and our behaviour that I do believe puts us on the right side of blessing and on the right side of favour and on the right side of breakthrough. And like David, he went from a great victory to people coming after him. But you know, it didn't shift his heart, did it? Kept him the same, kept him on the right track. He was still going after the things of God. What a wonderful testimony. Let us never be Christians that when it goes well, we go well. When it goes badly, we're bad. Let's be consistent, amen. Come on, stretch out your hands right now. Father, I thank you today for your presence. Holy Spirit, I thank you today for your anointing today. Thank you today, Lord Jesus, that you are here. You wanna bless us and wanna encourage us. Thank you, God, that even as we've seen the power of your word and its effect in Israel's life and David's life, we thank you, God, that we can learn lessons from that. We can apply that to our own lives. We give you all the praise and all the glory. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. To stay up to date, check us out at our website, faithcc.com.au.